Welcome to the Sales Development Podcast, your trusted resource for the latest strategies, tactics, and tips on running a high-performance sales development program. Sales development has grown to become a critical part of the success of high-growth companies, and we dive in each week on how to specifically make your program successful and accelerate your career advancement. Subscribe at iTunes, YouTube, and jump on the newsletter over at 10pound.com to make sure you never miss an episode. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. This is a very special edition because we have one of my personal heroes and a legend in our space. 30 years focused on one thing, using the phone to make sales and how to improve that performance. The author of one of the best books out there, if you don't have this, new edition just came out, Smart Calling, Eliminate the Fear, Failure, Rejection from Cold Calling. Mr. Art Subject, the Lifetime Achievement Award at AAISP. Art, how are you doing today? I am doing great, David. Thank you so much for having me on. It's actually an honor to be speaking to your audience of what I consider to be some of the most important people in sales, and that's those people doing sales development. Oh, man. I mean, these are the people out there that are making it happen every day. We rely on them. And, you know, there's a lot of confusion out there in the industry, especially on using the phone and and doing business over the phone. This is something you've been working on for your career. You've written books. You've gotten this Lifetime Achievement Award. Man, I mean, thank you, first of all, for coming and sharing your wisdom. Tell us about how you got into this and you know what brought you to start to write books and share your knowledge? Well, I guess I could go all the way back to when I was 13 years old. My first paid job was on the phone selling tickets to the policeman's fundraiser circus, which <laughs> I guess in retrospect, there probably wasn't even a circus. I think it was all a scam. But uh, <laughs> my, my voice had changed at the time, and apparently there were not child labor laws in Omaha, Nebraska. And I, I got this job along with a buddy and we would take the bus downtown and, and they would give us pages out of the phone book. And some of our younger listeners might have to Google phone book. And we would just simply go down and call, the, call these people at home and try to pitch them on donating to buy these tickets. And I was actually pretty good at it. And what happened is over the years, seemed like most of my jobs were in sales or telemarketing of some type. So I've, I've done just about every type of, again, consumer telemarketing there is. And then as I went through high school and college, I got more business to business sales jobs over the phone. And then when I graduated from Creighton University in Omaha, I had a number of job offers, but not surprisingly, probably, I wound up working for the old AT&T at what they called the Bell System Telemarketing Center, where we were on the phone all day long selling people on how to actually do, and they called it telemarketing at the time, wasn't a bad word, on how they could do their own inside sales. And at the time, people only had one choice for their long distance and and an 800 service, and that was AT&T, the Bell System. So they figured that the way to get people to use more of it was to give them the application and show them how they could do it. So in a sense, I was a telemarketing inside sales consultant at the tender age of 22, right out of college and also selling at the time. And I realized pretty quickly that I was a great salesperson, but not a good employee. 
and didn't fit in well into the corporate culture. And myself and a partner who had a similar mindset, we, we both decided that we could go do this on our own in our early 20s. And we left and formed a consulting and, and training company and proceeded to make every mistake in the book. But I endured and built the business up. He actually left and became a lawyer. So I joke that at least one of us has a reputable profession today. And uh, so which one? <laughs> after a few years, I, I started creating uh, content, which we were selling in the form of a newsletter. I, I then started repurposing that content, putting it into books, doing training. And 30 plus years today, here I am, an overnight success. <laughs> So, okay. I got a few questions for you. So when you realized, hey, I'm a great salesperson, not a great employee, what was it that, you know, came into your mind? Was it just you couldn't live within the shackles of the system or was it being told what to do? You know, what was that, that epiphany that you had? Well, a couple things. One is I knew I was always going to have my own business. Matter of fact, I was focusing on that in college. And I did decide to take a corporate job because I thought, well, let's get some money built up. Let's get some experience. And I'm a pretty straightforward guy and no BS. And I don't like to play games. And I saw so much of that going on in the corporate environment and the people who were getting promoted and receiving maybe more of the accolades tended to be the people that were, were kissing butt, but not producing like I was. And I thought, you know what, I, I don't need this. I go out there, I can do my own thing, get paid on my performance. And like a lot of entrepreneurs, I made the leap probably before I was ready. But also like any entrepreneur, as you probably know, you run into some challenges and those who endure and continue plugging along are the ones that are going to be successful. Were you scared though? I mean, like, cause especially now, you know, there's the golden handcuffs. You know, because you get the benefits and you got the cushy, you know, the 401k and they used to have beer and stuff in the, in the thing before everybody worked from home. But you know what I mean? It's like they really get their hooks in you. And especially if you've got a couple of kids and a mortgage and stuff like that. So and this is, I think, probably before all that came in. But were you scared? And, and then when you went out, I mean, were, were there some some rough spots or did you use your sales skills to? get some money at, you know, as you went out. Yeah, well, definitely I was scared. I was, I was married at the time. My wife was a teacher. And so we had a little bit of income to rely on. And of course, we didn't have anything. <laughs> the, one of the mistakes we made is that we left without having any clients in hand, which I would not recommend to anybody you know, starting a consulting business and also took on overhead. But was I scared? Yeah, I think everybody is scared, but you're also invigorated by that. I mean, that's the entrepreneurial bug. And anybody who has started a business understands what I'm talking about here. So I did not have all of those things that maybe somebody a little bit older in a cushy position would have, which would make it harder for them to leave. And were there some rough spots? Absolutely. I don't know if You've ever been in the position where you go to the ATM and you put in your card and it laughs at you. So, <laughs> oh boy, that, yeah. that was probably the lowest point. But as I always tell salespeople is that you will always have a job and get paid if you're a great salesperson, whether you're working for yourself or for somebody else or looking for a job because you, you are the product. So 
when we hit the rough spots, I just figured out a way to go out and, and sell more and generate revenue. And you know, the old saying is about some industries where you're on a straight commission, for example, like you know financial planners. You have to live like nobody else would want to for a while so that you can live like no one else can. 100%. And it kind of reminds me of the Wolf of Wall Street. Pick up the phone. There's a famous... <laughs> <laughs> you can Google it on YouTube. Pick up the phone. There's this famous speech. But so <laughs> there's two things. One is you were a great salesperson. So you, you had that in your back pocket. The other one was you had this experience in phone sales, right? So you could work from your office, but go out and, and make sales. And there also seems to be like an insatiable appetite for information about how to do this because it's hard. It's hard. So you had those three components. And then what did you do to build up your business and, you know, further your career as a phone salesperson? Well, the first thing we did was we practiced what we preached and we were only selling consulting at the time, which is is really kind of stupid because if you look at it, consulting is the one business where if you do your job great, you make yourself obsolete. And we did sell consulting engagements. And here we were, two young, cocky kids who had belief in ourselves, and, and we were pretty good. I mean, a lot to be said for the confidence factor. But we also had the experience from, from being at AT&T, and we had that. <laughs> basically, those were our credentials. And having had the experience, and we didn't know what we were doing at the time with this relatively new concept. And, and thanks to AT&T, who they were advertising, doing telemarketing. I mean, huge advertising blitz all the time. I mean, you couldn't turn on a sports program without seeing one of their ads. And so we were kind of piggybacking on that. But then after that, or during that, I realized that we need to do something else here to bring in some additional revenue. So I put together a audio tape training program that was on cassette tapes. And I, I'm not even sure what it was called. I think it was called Successful Telemarketing, maybe. But it was our first sales training product. So we sold that and it came with a workbook and a binder. I don't even think I have any of those around anymore. And so that was my original information marketing product. And then I also realized that it'd be nice to have recurring revenue. So I had a long-term plan, which was a year-long plan. I decided that I was going to put together a newsletter, a sales tips newsletter, which by the way, I still publish today. Originally, we called it the Telephone Selling Report. And it was, I think, four pages of just sales tips. And I sent it out free to our mailing list. And we had built up a mailing list of, I don't know, maybe 500 people or so, and it was growing. And every month, I would send out this newsletter. We would and it was basically typed and, and photocopied, but people loved it. And my plan was after a year, I was going to spruce it up a little bit and then make it a subscription publication. So at the end of the 12 months, I sent out a letter along with a, it kind of looked like an invoice, but it was like an order form. I said, if you'd like to continue receiving this, send us $99 for the first year. And I guess amazingly to me at the time, about half the people did. So then I was in the, the publishing business as well. Ah, okay. You got it. You've got to move from that consulting services, you know, deal by deal lifestyle to a more literally like a subscription. Yeah, it was a subscription. So we were still doing the consulting. Then my partner left and, and this was after probably about actually a year and a half. 
And I also felt that training, there was, there was more money in training. And the problem with that was, is that I was scared to death to get up and deliver training. Some people might find that hard to believe today after 1,500 programs over the years. But just like anything else, when I want to do something, I just go into mass information accumulation mode and figured out how can I be a great speaker and trainer. So I just started accumulating information, practicing, going to Toastmasters, joined the National Speaker Association, studied all the great speakers, and then built myself into a pretty good presenter and, and speaker and trainer and got away from the consulting side of it because I actually hated that and I wasn't so much the expert in that as much as my partner was. So that's really how the business took off. And then just building on top of that, I decided that I need more products. So I started compiling books. When I say compiling books, my first couple of books were essentially things that I had already written over the past few years in, in the newsletter and categorized it by topic and stitched it together and updated a little bit and, and then started producing books. Got it. Okay. So now you've got the newsletters going, you've got some subscribers, you've taken all this, you've created yourself into this trainer speaker and you're starting to get some action there. And then you start to produce the books. Did you have like a catalog or, I mean, is this when the sort of online bookstore started to come out or did you have to send out like a catalog so that people knew that you had all this stuff? Yeah, this was before that thing called the internet, which, which by yeah. the way, I think, I think it's going to work. I think it's going to work. What gonna is that? <laughs> <laughs> Al Gore invented it, right? Yeah. Nobody knows the, what these jokes mean. I know. <laughs> but that's okay. You can Google it, folks. <laughs> so how did you get the word out? Was it is that where you had to do a lot of calling? and? Literally? Well, yeah. I mean, we're, I, I was still being proactive in, in generating speaking business and training business. But I was also a pretty good marketer, a, a good direct marketer, direct response marketer. And, and I studied that in depth. And even from the first days of the newsletter, my focus was on building up a list of interested people. And I did that several ways. One thing that was huge is that I was asked to be, or actually, I think I contacted them. There was a magazine at the time called Teleprofessional Magazine, and it was for inside sales reps and business development reps. We called it Telesales at the time. And I became a, a columnist for them on, on sales tips. So every month I would have a sales tips column. Of course, I'd have credits at the end and I would offer something free, like a free report, a booklet of, I think by one time I had a booklet of 29 sales, telephone sales tips. So we'd get all these inquiries, both by mail and by phone and people, so I'm, so I'm building up the mailing list. And you know, it's just kind of like what, what we do today online by you know, opting in. So build up the list, had you know, everybody would get offers every month from with the newsletter, they would receive email offers. So I was so we were big direct marketers in that sense on the product side of the business. Got it. Okay. So that's starting to roll. And then so fast forward a little bit in coming up with the smart calling framework, right? Was this a culmination of years of you know working with clients, doing training? You know, I like what you said. You, you took it, you went into mass information mode and then you did what most people don't do is then take it, make it into something and implement it. Like, 
<laughs> just go into mass information mode and right. then walk around confused all day, especially <laughs> now. I mean, there's so much information. But was this book a culmination of that or did it just you know, come right out of you? It's actually something that I had been teaching for years. And for, for people who aren't familiar, smart calling is really the alternative to cold calling. Cold calling, I define as calling somebody you don't know, who doesn't know you, you don't know anything about them. Everybody's getting the same pitch. And normally it's not very relevant. Smart calling is pretty simple. It's knowing something about the people who we are calling, knowing something about them, their company, and more importantly, any situation or trigger event that might be going on in their world so that we can then tailor our message to them and therefore make it relevant. I mean, it seems like a simple concept. I don't know why everybody doesn't get it or hasn't been doing it their entire life. But yeah, I had been teaching it for probably 15 years, even prior to, to the book coming out. And I just never called it smart calling. And I had always been approached by publishers, major publishers to write a book. You know, the interesting thing here, here's a little secret with, with publishers. They get probably hundreds of requests every week from people who want to write a book for them. But at the same time, publishers have business development reps. They call them editors, acquisition editors. And they're calling on people who have a following to write books for them. Because most publishers are in the business of printing books, not selling books. So they want people who can sell books. And I had a track record of that. So I was I had been kicking around the idea, and this was probably in 2000, late 2008, 2009, of actually doing this book and self-publishing like I have in the past because I can make a lot more money publishing a book than, than I can just writing one for somebody else. But at the same time, I got contacted by John Wiley, a rep for them, who said, hey, we've been following you for a while and we'd like to talk to you about possibly doing a book for us. And my first reaction was, yeah, I get this all the time. But then I thought, you know what? There are some benefits of going with a major publisher. One being I could really explode this thing and get into doors that I may not have otherwise because they're just so much bigger and you get in all the bookstores and so on. So I, I thought, you know what, I'm going to do this. And, and it was a good decision. And then the funny thing is, is that after I said yes, they said, okay, great, send us a proposal. I'm like, <laughs> WTF, what? <laughs> you called me. <laughs> oh, okay. So they're like, hey, we're really interested. Like now you, you know, apply with us. Well, yeah. I mean, their process requires that you actually have to put together a proposal showing them how you're going to sell books. So I did that and put together the program. And anyway, it, it all worked out great. Yeah. I mean, we're on our third edition now. And I know that you walk around any SDR, you know, floor and it's on the shelf, you know, I mean, it's, it's out there. So going with a major publisher, maybe got you into doors that, you know, otherwise would have been closed if you self-published, even though you make more money directly from self-publishing. Right. Right. Yeah. You make, a, you make a lot more money. It doesn't cost that much to print a book and business books typically sell a lot more, sell for a lot more than your regular, just entertaining books. Got it. Okay. So that, and you touched on this, but what I'm curious about for people that haven't read it yet, what's the difference between dumb calling and smart calling? Because that's, you know, I think number one, and we'll talk about this, but a lot of people don't call anymore because it's so, you know, you could do everything on your typing. But number two is, you know, once they do get up the courage and finally pick up the phone, it's just blah, you know? 
Yeah, and that's that would be a dumb call. That, that would be, <laughs> that, that's somebody who, again, hasn't yeah. done the preparation, hasn't done the research, and yeah. they just simply call up and they wing it and they say the same thing that they said to the, the previous five people that probably has no relevance at all. And, and the interesting thing today, David, is that there is so much information available to us within seconds with just a couple keystrokes that there's absolutely no reason why anybody should ever place a call like that. And trust me, I've heard all the arguments over the years about, oh, we don't have time to do the research and you know, we got to be we got to be making the calls. I mean, that's ridiculous because whenever you have a call that is tailored, personalized and customized for that individual, it's always going to be more effective than one where I'm just smiling and dialing saying, hey, I'd like to take 15 minutes of your time to get on your calendar so I can tell you about my crap. Right. And so what's the balance that? Because... I think it's easy to go down a rabbit hole of analysis paralysis. And at some point, you get into the thing where now you've been researching the guy for so long that you're just scared, you know, to pick up the phone. So is there a tipping point where finally you just got to just pick up the phone and call? Well, yeah, ultimately, you always have to pick up the phone and call. (laughs) And I think the person who uses the excuse of, well, I have to do more research has crossed the line into call reluctance call avoidance. They have, they're letting fear control them and they're using the research as an excuse. I mean, let's face it. If you know your product pretty well, and if you know your industry and if you know your ideal customer, the avatar of them, it shouldn't take you that long to do the research that's going to help you find several points that you may be able to weave into what I call your possible value proposition and where you're going to go with the call. I mean, you're not reinventing the wheel every time. And you also should be able to systematize your preparation so that you know that, for example, I'm going to go to Google first, or I'm going to go to this particular search engine first, or any of the paid services, premium services that are out there. And again, shouldn't take you that much time. And here's the other thing too, is that you, know, you see all these stats, which I'm not a big believer in general stats ever in sales. It's like, well, you know, it takes you seven attempts to reach somebody or, you know, you got to ask for the sale five times before. I mean, <laughs> according to whom? I mean, sales is just not general. But anyway, I digress. It takes us whatever number of times to actually get somebody on the phone. We're not having to do all that initial research every time. So on subsequent attempts, we're just reminding ourselves of the initial research that we did. So I never buy into, I don't have time to do the preparation. Okay. And so there's also that mindset too, that you go in where you're, you know, eliminating the fear, failure, and rejection of cold call or, you know, of smart calling. But there's the mindset that you talk about in that, you know, you're not necessarily getting rejected. It's more market research almost and figuring out what works for you, right? Absolutely. And okay. mindset is is really everything in life. I would say 90% of what we accomplish in sales is due to our thinking, as well as most of our failure is due to our thinking. And I always have, with no rejection in several of my books, and people question me, it's like, well, no, rejection's inherent in sales. Well, no, it's not, because this is all semantics. What is rejection? Rejection is the term that somebody applies to an experience. 
And it's a story we tell ourselves. I could take two people. They both got a no on a call. One says, oh my God, I'm devastated. I got another no. <laughs> another one says, well, you know what? At least I found out when their contract is up for renewal and I kept the door open for a future contact. So I didn't accomplish my primary objective, but at least I got a win of some type. Now, who's the person that's going to be excited about placing the next call? The person who told themselves a better story. You know, one thing we can't control is what's going on with the person at the other end of the line. We cannot control that. We can try to influence it. But that one thing we can control is our attitude and the stories that we tell ourselves. And too many people tell themselves bad stories, false stories. And that's why they think they're rejected. I mean, would somebody say, oh man, I suck and tell themselves that 20 times a day? Well, eventually you're going to start believing it. I mean, just substitute that with, oh, I got rejected. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same thing. And there's only, you know, a small percentage of the people out there who are ready to talk to you and, and, you know, may have a need that you have. So inherently to doing this, you're going to run into people who it's just, it's just not the right time. You know, they already are all set. I mean, all those excuses that, that to get you off the phone. So if you go into it with the mindset of, well, that guy was mean to me, so I'm going to feel bad all day and just, you know, like it's going to ruin my day. Of course, you're going to be miserable, right? Well, yeah. Again, if if you attach negative feelings to an experience, as a human, we're likely going to avoid that experience. But the thing is, is that we have to be proactive in order to be successful in this business. And we need to be doing things and thinking things that are going to bring us up as opposed to bring us down. I mean, let's face it, folks, you guys have picked a profession where every day proactively you're going out and playing in heavy traffic on the interstate. <laughs> and occasionally when you do that, you're going to get nicked. There are a lot of people that I've seen over the years who had the talent, but they didn't have the mindset and they got out of the business. Mm. And you think if they would have worked on the mindset a little bit, you know, they would have been successful. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, I've seen people, again, who they had great voices, very smart, and they actually had the sales process down. They, they could deliver pretty well, but they just had this fear of talking to somebody that they didn't know. And, and they feared the unknown, the unknown being, well, what if I get a no? Well, here's the thing. You already have the no before you call because you, you don't have the sale. If you have to, yeah, that's true. You have to look yeah. at anything, look at, I tried, at least I tried. And don't gauge success by your number of actual sales or appointments. Gauge success by your number of attempts. Because again, you control that and what your mindset is after you experience whatever you experienced on that call. And you can get a win of some type on every single call, regardless of how small it is. Exactly. That's that's the message I love here with the smart calling. And let's take it from the flip side. Now, what if you, you've got the manager walking around, or they used to, now we're all working from home, but they're walking around saying, everybody has to make 100 calls a day. And, you know, don't do that research, just call. You know, and you're sitting there going, well, wait a minute, Art says... I'm supposed to be smart about this. This guy's telling me to be dumb. 
what should they do in that case? Probably find another job. <laughs> I'm, and, and I'm. <laughs> no, I, I know. I mean, but you know, easier said than done, right? Yeah. I've told people that so many times because if somebody is just managing by dashboard, yes. that is ignorant and it's lazy. And it's a sign that the person is not trying to develop people. I mean, let's, let's compare it to something that's very similar to sales development and, and just sales in general, and that would be sports of any type. Now, if a coach or manager of a team said, let's, let's take basketball. If a basketball coach said, okay, guys, we're not scoring enough. I need more shots. I don't care where, just give me more shots. And you know, player says, well, coach, like even from half court or even from underneath our own basket, yeah, just put up as many as you can. <laughs> Absurd, right? Yes. Same thing as a manager saying, just give me more calls. <laughs> Here's a myth. I, I make fun of a lot of so many myths of sales. For every no you get, you're that much closer to a yes. Yeah. So many people have heard that, right? Because that's supposed to be motivating. No, actually, because if I'm doing the wrong thing, I'm still going to get the negative result. If I took a two-headed coin and I flipped it 100 times, I'm not going to get a tail on the 101st flip. Right. So, yeah, it's just, it's just not a numbers game. And, again, for those managers out there, I would encourage you, your job is to develop people. It's not to look at numbers and say, just give me more numbers. And when you develop people and you work on the process, the results come. Got it. Okay. So I think where people get caught up in the management is that if you look at just the numbers, and I get you're saying that that's where we're going off track, but if you look at the numbers and you say, okay, I can put this into a nice, neat formula. 100 calls equals 25% pickup rate. Of 25% pickup rate, we're going to get a 5% conversation and set one meeting. Therefore, everybody make 100 calls. And so they're taking that funnel and then just saying, okay, I'm all set. Okay, we're, let's go do it, right? And so what you're saying is, okay, that's like step one, but then there's how do you actually improve the conversion rates through developing the people, right? Yeah, absolutely. What I suggest is let's look at some of your top people and let's look at, okay, we can use their numbers as kind of a benchmark, but then I want to look at what are they doing in order to get their results, most importantly? And then if I'm looking at somebody that's not getting good results, I may look at numbers as just a measure of activity, but there's likely something qualitative going on there that's causing them to not get the results. So I want to find out where is that? And the only way I'm going to get that is by listening to phone calls, right? And, and talking to them and, you know, treating them as an individual, not as somebody that's, that's just putting up numbers. And again, it's like a coach, again, of a sports team, not ever watching the team play, but just reading the box score the next day saying, well, yep, need more swings. <laughs> totally. You wouldn't believe how much that happens out there right now. Oh, I so, I've seen it. <laughs> it's crazy. So, and again, going back to when you started your firm, it seems like there's this insatiable demand for knowledge and information about how to do sales correctly and, you know, advice and tips, and it's just sort of exploded. And so people are still looking for this information. They might not be getting it from their manager, it seems. So 
question for you. This is one that I had. Voicemails. I get like five or 10 calls a day and nobody ever leaves a voicemail anymore. What's your thought on voicemail? Because whenever I get a voicemail, I listen to it. I hope nobody starts calling me and leaving me (laughs) voicemails now, but I listen to every single one because it might be, you know, my dad, it might be the vet, it might be somebody and nobody ever, they just hang up. Well, it's probably people who are subscribing to to the numbers game mentality, and maybe okay. they've heard some bad information about nobody listens to voicemails or you know they're not effective. And to me, that that's one of the dumbest things in the world because if you think about it, if I've already done the heavy lifting to prepare for my call, so I'll if you do pick up, I know exactly what I'm going to say if I've done it correctly, and if I reach voicemail. Why in the world would I not take the 10 to 15 seconds to leave a question in your mind that hopefully you want the answer to? And that, by the way, is the objective for a great voicemail. It's not to give a pitch. It's not to ask for a decision. It's not to even hint at the fact that you want to meet with them. It's to leave a question in their mind that they want the answer to. Okay. So you're leaving sort of piquing their curiosity a little bit going, you know, and then do you ask them to call you back within the voicemail or I've heard, you you know, you just reference them over to an email and take it over there. Yeah. That's the funny thing. I mean, I get the question all the time from salespeople, what voicemail can I leave? That's going to get my calls returned. And my (laughs) typical answer to that is lower your expectation. Because if you're prospecting, and as the SDRs out there know, there's small chances that people are actually going to call you back, even if they are interested in what you have. I mean, if you hit somebody at the right time where they have an immediate need and then, you know their house is on fire and they need you, that's great. Bonus, okay? But what, what I always tell sales reps is don't assume in your message to them that they're going to call you back. I mean, that's just so presumptuous. And I think it's a little offensive personally. So what I suggest is at the end of the voicemail say, and I will call you back on Friday morning. I will also send you an email. If there would be a a better time for us to speak, if you're interested, please just hit reply with the choices of a couple times. And, and then sometimes I'll joke and say, and if you're so moved to call me back, here's my phone number. Yeah. But you kind of lower your expectations. It reminds me, I haven't seen it as much lately, but there was sort of a trend where, you know, you would get four emails in a row from somebody. And the last one was almost like accusatory, you know, it's like, Hey, I've been trying to reach you and you obviously aren't interested. You know, the, the tone that you pick up from the last email is sort of like you jerk, you know? And it's like, wait a minute, you're reaching out to me. You know what I mean? I don't know who's teaching this stuff, but <laughs> somebody obviously is. And it's crazy. Here's, here's the thing, David, is that yeah. you, you were talking about how much information or people are seeking information. The great thing today is that there's more information available to us than at any point in history, a lot of it free. But then also, you know what they say about free and what it's worth. (laughs) (laughs) And I just shake my head sometimes when I'll look on LinkedIn and somebody who now is proposing to be an expert and they're suggesting some kind of technique. And matter of fact, I did an entire webinar for my inner circle group about 
I would say probably 20 or 30 different opening approaches that people were using out there for prospecting calls. And it was things like that, that were gimmicky, things that were apologetic. It's kind of like, I know you weren't expecting my call and this is a cold call and I'm only going to take five seconds of your time. And if you want to hang up on me, you can. And I'm thinking, holy moly, really? If I get a call like this and somebody says, well, you can hang up on me if you can, I'll go, really? Don't you have enough confidence in what you're selling to be able to communicate that to me in a professional way? I mean, folks, don't use those gimmicks. I mean, have faith in what you're selling if you're employed by a company that's selling a great product or service. And, and that absolutely has to be there. Matter of fact, I tell sales reps all the time, you should feel that you should be charging more for what you sell. Because if you don't have that feeling, how in the world are you going to create some interest and, and have that passion with someone? That's true. And that, that's, that's tough because the interview process for the company is kind of a sales pitch. You know, they, if they like you, they're going to put on the full court press and then you get in there and it turns out the product sucks and you know, it's a negative, toxic environment. But it's hard to know. But hey, if, if it's aligned, right, and you love, you know, you know the product can help, you're super passionate about it, you know, why not transfer that into the call, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that has to be there. And I'm not talking about being phony, no pun intended, but right. I, I am talking about <laughs> having confidence and, and being professional, but also speaking in, in friend voice and not business voice, right? Right. <laughs> well, you, you touched on a really good point I want to ask you about too, is, is with this explosion of information. It seems like every day you get up and there's a new guru, you know, spouting off all this information on LinkedIn and doing a carriage return. You know, there'd be a sentence and then a <laughs> return, sentence, return. I don't know if you saw that, but there's all these people. How do you like curate this and, you know, make it into this, this explosion of information and just sort of whittle it down to stuff that will be useful that you can use and then get back to your day, get back to work, you know? Well, I would suggest, I'm not trying to be self-serving here, but I would suggest that anytime you see something that's being proposed out there is look at the source and check out the source and see if they have a track record and have they been around? Do they actually do, they actually do what they're suggesting that that you do? Do, do they have a, a history of, of success? I mean, it always amazes me too when I'll get approaches from people on LinkedIn and they're going to tell me how much they're going to help me in my business and, and they can help generate more leads and this and that, but they're using horrible approaches themselves. And I'm thinking, is this what you're teaching or is this what you're selling? So you know, look at some things with the, with a grain of salt. And then there, again, have been some people that have been around for a while. And, and here's the other thing too, because something, somebody has been around for a while doesn't mean that it doesn't work. I mean, all of a sudden I've seen some people out there, some, some younger people look at people who've been around. I mean, some people have been around longer than me saying, oh yeah, well, you know, that's, that's old, that's outdated. Well, here's the thing. The human brain really hasn't changed much in, in quite a long time. And sales is still sales and the buying process is still the buying process as far as what's going on neuropsychologically. And so many times people want to attach themselves to the new shiny object out there, whatever the next sales 3.0 social selling, whatever that is, is out there or the new email technique or sales and enablement platform and, and, and so on. 
when ultimately still what works five, 10, 15 years ago still works today. And that's, that's talking to people and that's understanding your, your market, your buyers, their motivators, and, and crafting a good value proposition and working from that and asking questions, learning about the other person, making an on-target recommendation, moving the process forward. 100%. Amen. I mean, that's funny because if you look at a lot of the self-help you know, industry and, and you look at some of their advice, it all goes back to st- the Stoics which is like 2,500 years ago. <laughs> They're ripping everything off from the Stoics. And, and it's like the Stoics probably ripped it off from somebody <laughs> you know, 2,000 years before them because it's their bedrock principles that are just what your grandma told you to do. You know what I mean? And you go, ah, blow that off. What, did, what does she know? You know? And then you, I just get this app, right? And this app is going to solve all my problems. Well, no. So anyways, I agree 100% with what you're saying. Socrates was one of the best sales reps ever. Yeah. Oh my God. You know, that's funny. I had a sales manager who would use the Socratic method with me and it drove me absolutely insane. I couldn't stand it. Just question after question after question, but it was probably the most effective way to, you know, get information. But, oh man, that was tough. Anyways. Art, this has been amazing. I mean, I've got a whole notebook here full of tips and strategies that I'm going to use immediately and everybody can on the call. If folks want to get a copy of Smart Calling and connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Well, for the book itself, the book has its own site, which is smart-calling.com, smart-calling.com. I don't sell the book myself. So there you can buy it through your retailer of choice. I do encourage you to buy a lot of them because I make about a dollar on each one. And uh, the reason I suggest (laughs) you go through this site is that I do have something free for you. I mean, the publisher would only let me take up about 260 pages in the book, but I had so much that I wanted to share that I put together what I call a companion course, which is an online resource library and it's free. And in every single module of that, it corresponds to a chapter in the book. So in there I have, I've got video, I've got sample calls, I've got webinars, I've got more examples, I've got scripts, all kinds of stuff. So if I sold this, I would sell it for over 200 bucks, but it's free. And you can get that at smart-calling.com after you get the book. And if you just want to connect with me, you can go to smartcalling.com, no hyphen. And that's my blog where we've got tons of other content and material and you can, you can connect with me there as well. I love that. And, and, you know, that's to the point of curation, you know, it's like focusing on arts material for the next several months and become a master, you know, to get the book, take the course, log into the blog really focus on that. Put all the noise aside for several months until you can really start to master these techniques. You know, I think we came up with the answer. I mean, that's, that's the way to go versus skipping. I mean, I just think we're in this sort of pinball machine of information these days. And you really got to go deep on, you know, this is a legend in our industry. So 
I love it, Art. Thank you for that offer. Absolutely. And, and, and actually, let me, let me just piggyback on that. I don't claim to have invented sales or prospecting like some people out there. Really? <laughs> and, and I'm constantly learning and yeah. we'll never reach total mastery in sales. I've said for so long that this is a school we will never graduate from. And the very best salespeople out there are, are students of, of sales. They're sales scientists. And, and I'm that as well. So I'm constantly learning. I'm learning from other people, testing things. And again, I don't claim to have all the answers. I do suggest you, you do look at everything else that is out there. But if you do have to, if you want to become the best you possibly can, I wouldn't dilute yourself. I, I would focus on one methodology that resonates with you, with you and works, if it's mine or if it's somebody else's, that's fine. But that's, that's how you become great at sales development and, and sales or whatever you, you intend to do. And, and the great thing about this, folks, if you're listening out there, is that this is the one profession where it's as close as you can possibly get to owning your own business without making the investment the investment, the monetary investment, because the rewards we can get in sales while still working for somebody are enormous. And I believe it's the greatest profession in the world. And those of you out there doing sales development, you have one of the most challenging jobs in, in the world, but probably one of the most rewarding as well. So I admire you and I want to help you any way I possibly can. Oh, that's amazing. So, hey folks, take them up on that. We'll put the websites in the, in the show notes and connect and Art, I've learned a ton from you, and I just thank you for coming on the show, sharing your wisdom, and we'll get you on the show again soon. Absolutely. I love it. Thank you so much for having me on, David. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.